Hello, friends, and welcome to Pod Return to the Waking Sands. We are a Final Fantasy XIV companion podcast where we explore the lore and story of Hydaelyn and beyond. My name is Jen, and I am joined by my co-host and researcher. I'm Levi. Hello, Levi. Hi, Jen. Hi. This is going to be a, a big one. Y- yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen today. Well, Jen, today we're here to talk about the Battle of Cartano yeah. and the preceding events. Damn. In the A Realm Reborn main story quest, we are just about to organize a memorial for this battle, but our characters don't know anything about it. Maybe they probably know more than we did as players our first time playing them. Sure, because they existed in the world five years prior. Yes. But all that we've experienced as players is this very vague cutscene flashing back to the final moments of the battle. Yeah. We've seen it four times now. Yes. We're past that now, Jen. Good. Because Rob Bond's voice actor during that bothers me a lot. (laughs) It's so distracting to me. For those that don't know, the voice actors from A Realm Reborn get replaced as of the first expansion heaven's war yeah all of the voice actors in you know that were replaced going forward starting in heaven's word they're all fantastic so good but there are elements of the ones from a realm reborn that i miss specifically marlveb we got a lot <laughs> we got a lot of ground to cover all right today. continue time to fill in those holes jen that's what she said <laughs> Uh, speaking of, of her, to start off, Jen, Jen has not done any extracurricular research on this episode. I've asked her to keep her mind pure. So, Jen, from what you recall of your experience through A Realm Reborn, what is the Battle of Cartineau? All right. So we got, uh, you know, we got the Garleans, right? And they're like super imperialistic and they're real bad right and they're trying to take over eorzea right is jersey and, uh, <laughs> jen going to be present for this entire example like, uh yes and so everybody else the uh, you know the grand companies and the great eorzean alliance uh come together to fight this this uh this uh, nascent threat that uh, nascent is that the appropriate word here i think it's nascent anyway so it all comes to a head, right? Where the Garleans are like, okay, we're going to take our Magitek and we're going to own all of these like uh, spiritual, religious, savage, backwards fucks because they don't deserve the, uh, you know, to exist, I guess. Anyway, that's enough of that. <laughs> so Goodbye, Jersey all Jim. the while... Um, where the Garlean expansionism is concurrent with the development of Dalamud suddenly having problems. And it starts to glow and descend, and there are all around Hydaelyn, there are these phenomena occurring that it's basically like disruptions everywhere of the natural order and the natural flow of ether, that everything is starting to get more and more fucked up. So it's like all of these disparate things, well, not disparate, but these all of these things are kind of coming to a head. 
And it's not that I don't I don't think the Garleans are have anything to do with Delamood. Like they don't push a button and release Bahamut. So the moon is having problems. The world is having problems. Uh, etherologists and and Charlian scholars the, the the world over are very disturbed. Um, and then the grand companies, of course, are are battling the Garleans, and it all comes to a head at Cartano Flats, where the Garleans and the grand companies just collide. And this is when we have our our five warriors of light considered the only hope for the grand companies to defeat the Garleans. And at this same time, this is when Dalamud explodes and Bahamut escapes and uh, creates basically an, an, an apocalyptic moment. And the only thing that can defeat Bahamut is uh, Louis Swa. And again, Louis Swa is this huge name, this huge player in from 1.0. And we see his face for a hot fucking second. So he sacrifices himself in order to save as many lives as he possibly can to defeat Bahamut and basically level that whole battle. I don't know. Like, it seems like there's this just like a massive, like, like, I don't know. But that saves something. So that is that. And it's a, uh, it is some somewhat of an apocalypse. It's completely destructive. But it does send the Garleans back whimpering into their hole from whence they came to regroup and, and threaten us anew in A Realm Reborn. That's about it. Well, Jen. How close am I? You are not wrong. <laughs> but you're not right. <laughs> I figured. Uh, that That's okay, though, because... Well, that's, I mean, that's probably the interpretation of a lot of people who yes. are going into 2.0 fresh. That's, I don't know. And again, I'm not, I'm not very good at, like, sight reading plot like that until I get really deep into it. That's a pretty good understanding for the information that was made available to you. So yeah, nice. All right. And this is where Levi will take over. And this is where I will learn how fucked <laughs> my interpretation is. No, again, uh. that that is a fantastic functional understanding. And that's enough to play the game with. Okay. If that's what you thought. I mean, you wouldn't be far enough off base to really be confused by by much except maybe some coils stuff later on yeah mm-hmm. The Battle of Cartineau is summarized by the An End of an Era FMV. You can watch this on YouTube or in the game itself. If you click on the Movies and Title button on the main menu, you can watch the End of an Era video there. Hmm. It's worth noting that there is another version of this video called Flames of Truth. This includes a part two that relates to the story of Coils. If you're going through the game for the first time, I recommend you do not watch Flames of Truth until after playing through the Coils Raid series. In this FMV, what we're seeing is the Eorzeans and the Imperial soldiers of the Garlean Empire fighting on a battlefield. 
This is the Cartonneau Flats. Overhead, a massive spiky glowing red orb looms, the moon Dalamud. One of the spikes dislodges from the moon and lands in the middle of a battlefield. At this point, all hell breaks loose as the moon breaks apart, and from it emerges the dragon Bahamut. It unleashes devastation across the battlefield, and everyone just tries to retreat. However, we see an older Elizin, Louiswa, stand defiantly on top of a cliff. He braces his staff and channels a massive amount of energy from these shrines throughout Eorzea. We see our Charlayan scholars praying at the shrines. Thancred, Ida, and so on. This invocation begins to trap Bahamut in another prison, but it's not enough. He breaks free again and resumes his rampage. All hope is lost. In his final moments, Louis Swa transports a band of heroes from the battlefield, and the calamity is upon Eorzea. That's the video. So now, the hard part, what's going on here? <laughs> Let's unpack it in the order of events as they appear in the FMV. So the first players are the Imperials. They are the instigators of this whole event. The Imperials are soldiers of the Garlean Empire. The Empire is roughly analogous to the real-world Roman Empire in a very broad sense. We're not going to conduct a full ex exploration of the Empire now, because in a large part we get more story drops about them as the game continues. However, we're going to take a moderately deep dive into them right now. Deep-ish. Yes. Who are the Garleans? They are a people native to the continent of Ilzebard. They have a couple of peculiar traits that factor into their history and their place in the world. The first one is their third eye. This is an organ in the center of their forehead that looks like a gem or a pearl. It isn't all for show. It is said to enhance their spatial awareness. So we can infer that it doesn't work like a normal eye does. There's no pupil there. We don't see it moving or anything, but it does something to help them be more aware of their spatial surroundings. The other trait, or lack thereof, is that Garleans cannot manipulate either like everyone else can, which means they can't use magic. This is a severe disadvantage in this world of magic. This means that the Garleans get kicked around by everyone else who can manipulate either throughout history. Due to their weakness, the Garleans get driven from their homeland into the far northern reaches of Ilsebard and they're forced to settle in this area with long, severe winters and tumultuous, short summers. It's wracked by storms. It's a bad time. Nobody else wants to live here because it's so shitty. <laughs> There's only one resource of note here, which is ceruleum. Ceruleum is kind of like magic oil. Yeah. To, to sum it up. Yeah. At first, the Garleans burn ceruleum to keep them warm in the winters, and that's its only advantage but it lets them survive here, period. So, this situation continues for a while, and the Garleans are the punching bags of their neighbors. Eventually, they unite as a republic as an effort to stave off this foreign aggression. The turning point for their civilization, though, is only about 50 years before the start of A Realm Reborn. This is preceded by the arrival of a Solus Galvis on the scene. Galvis. Solus, Solus Galvis. In Garlean names, the middle name is actually a title, which is tied to their their family and their place in their ancestry and so on. 
Um, at this point in time, there is no honorific for Solus Galvis. Got it. Anyway, Solus Galvis is a military commander who saw great potential in a new invention, the Ceruleum Engine, which we can infer from the name. This is functionally like an engine that we might have in a car or whatever else in the modern world. This is much more compact and efficient than the steam engine which exists in the world at this time, but it's inefficient and of course in the harsh regions of Garlemald there is minimal fuel to burn for a steam engine. Like water? Like wood. <laughs> so Galvis sees this potential in the engine, in the Ceruleum engine. He backs the development of military applications of this technology. This becomes what we know now as Magitech weaponry, which is named this way because it is better than magic. Mm, Debatable, see. but that's the, the propaganda. Jury's still out. It's pretty effective, though. It is very effective. Magitech comes in all forms. It can be individual weapons wielded by soldiers. Uh, it can be machines with human pilots or full-on automatons. With this technology, Garlemald is now the big kid on the block. They start by conquering their neighbors, but this expansionism doesn't stop there. Soon, they bring all of Ilzabard under Garlean rule. During their conquest, Galvis proclaims himself an emperor, and so the Garlean Empire is born. Lost another one to Magitek. What? No, it just, for some reason, it reminds me of those old Ditech commercials. Lost another one to Ditech. Was it like insurance? I have no idea what you're talking remember. about. It, no, it's an ancient commercial. Does anyway. this kill people? Ditech? Yeah. No. Then why are people lost to it? No, as in like they they went all in on Magitech and uh, it was it was more appropriate for the the complete um, subjugation of Vilsabard. Lost another one to Magitech. I see. So okay. Okay. Thank anyway, you for continue. the, the Ditech ad. You bet. <laughs> uh, anyway. The Garlean Empire conquers their neighbors. This becomes rolled into a kind of propaganda effort where the Imperials are bringing civilization and technology to the less fortunate. They're doing them a favor, really. Mm -hmm. Today, anyone who's not in the Garlean fold is called a savage by the Garleans, which includes us Eorzeans. Right. So they're basically um, missionaries in the service of their god, Cerulean-based technology. Yes, um, because Garleans are atheists primarily. Correct. And that, that's part of what fuels their uh, superiority complex. Part of this propaganda and expansionist effort is fueled by the Garleans' discovery of primals. We've heard of primals so far, but only indirectly in the story that we've played through for this podcast. We'll spend a lot more time with them later. But for now, though, we'll say that primals are gods that can be made incarnate by massive amounts of aether. The Imperials declare the primals are false gods and call them icons. I mean, yeah. That's a pretty strong statement there, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you call it. Um, yes, most of the time they are a, uh, an unhealthy and desperate uh, focal point for woes i guess uh, we know whose side jen's on in this conflict i mean they're not wrong wow i mean it's they got some good points there those garleans <laughs> they're only taking orders moving on yeah part of what is used by the imperials to justify their conquests 
is that they are stamping out these religions and practices of icon summoning. Therefore, they are saving the lands that they are conquering from the drain of Aether from these icons. They are, of course, conveniently ignoring the fact that their invasions often spur these summonings in the first place as they back these people into a corner with no other resort besides calling upon the primals. Yeah, hello. <laughs> Once all of Ilsebard is under imperial rule, they set their sights on Aldenard, our home continent. They conquer Alamigo and press on from there. So that catches us up to the Garlean Empire as of 1.0. There are two imperial legions that I want to highlight for the purposes of this content today. First off is the 14th Legion. This is a relatively young legion that is led by fan favorite character Gaius von Belzar. Mm -hmm. The 14th was the legion that conquered Alamigo, and Gaius was consolidating power there for much of the 1.0 story. He's still an important figure, though, in the events leading up to Cartano. The other one, the 7th Legion, is led by Nail von Darnus, known as the White Raven. There is some weirdness about the identity of Nail, but that comes up much later in the story. Um, so for now, though, uh, we know that the 7th is an older legion, existing since the formation of the Garlean Republic. Hmm. Nail was groomed for the military from a young age and was made a legatus, also known as a commander, of the 7th Legion soon after the former legatus, his father, passed away. To kick things off with a bang, Nail had his father's advisors executed to cut ties with his past and to start a new legacy going on from there to win numerous ruthless victories. And because of this history of brutal success, Nail is selected to be the vanguard of the invasion that takes place during the 1.0 Final Fantasy XIV story. Mm -hmm. That's Empire on hold for the moment. Next up is the meteor itself. This is ultimately what causes the calamity and the end of the sixth astral era. It destroyed the playable world of Final Fantasy XIV and allowed the game team to remake the Eorzea that we know today in A Realm Reborn and beyond. Meteor, as a, as a side note, and probably a no-da, is all throughout the Final Fantasy series as a vastly destructive force and has been the plot of at least one game. I mean, the Meteor, as, as a concept, probably features in some capacity in a lot of Final Fantasy games. Yes, Right, because I mean they they reuse properties in in interesting ways. So yep. yeah, it, it could be you know a, a huge plot point or something in like a side quest or whatever. But they will recycle these things a lot, and so in, in future games they become just these little Easter eggs. I'd call it more what makes the series. People expect these things to reappear mm -hmm. in different interesting ways, like, like Sid. Like, yeah, exactly. There's there's always a Sid, and who's he going to be this time? Mm -hmm. Right. Back to the meteor. Throughout the surviving historical records, there have always been two moons over Hydaelyn. One of them, Delamud, is what becomes the meteor. Delamud is not a natural moon, but it is actually a satellite that was constructed by the Elegans. The Elegans are a whole subject that we don't have time for today. <laughs> uh, suffice to say that they are an ancient advanced civilization 
whose remnants are scattered all throughout the realm even today. Mm-hmm. The Elegans built Dalamud to contain the great worm Bahamut, but this information was lost to the ages. The only information in surviving records is that Dalamud contains a great source of power. Nobody knows that Bahamut is inside there. Interesting. So there, it's just like this potential weapon of mass destruction just floating in the sky above? Yes. Cool. Did anybody think to send like a spaceship up there and, and probe? Like, what's in this thing? I don't think they have the technology. <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> but, Jen, probe they did. Thank you for the transition. But, Jen, probe. Nice. Mm. <laughs> Dalamud hangs out in space since the fall of Alag, absorbing Aether throughout the ages until the Imperials get involved. The Empire had tried to invade Eorzea in the past, but they were stymied by the primals summoned up by the Eorzean beast tribes. Also stuff with Midgar Surmer too, but that's later. Mm. Anyway, the, the primals could not be bested by conventional weapons, and further, they consumed great amounts of Aether through their summoning, taxing the land greatly, and leaving it sometimes in an actual wasteland. However, the Empire has records that suggest the Elegans had a means of combating the primals. They think that Dalamud has something to do with this. So the Empire puts a brilliant engineer and scientist, Midas Non Garland, on the job. Hmm. Midas thinks that he can tap into the energy from within the moon to blast the primals out of existence. This launches Project Meteor. The project is housed within Bazja Citadel inside conquered imperial territory, and it makes use of elegant artifacts donated by House Darnus, which is Nail's mm. family. So the day comes finally uh, to make contact with Dalamud. They have a lunar transmitter set up inside Bazja Citadel, and they are about to activate it. When they do so, the moon directs a massive amount of power back through the transmitter and destroys Bazja Citadel, Bazja City, and of course, all records and artifacts inside the Citadel. Holy shit. And kills Midas as well. <gasps> oh, I didn't know that. Holy shit. You hear the name Midas Garland once or twice. Uh, we didn't do Baja until very, very late in our, our experience. And again, none of that really stuck. I would not blame you. I'm, I probably knew that, but I th- I don't think I knew that he died at this point. No, there, there's so much. I, I wouldn't blame anyone for not absorbing everything. This is such a dense game. <laughs> well, that explains that explains Baja. Yes. Okay. All right. Anyway, Bajja City is lost. This is a massive population center. This is a humanitarian catastrophe. Let's let's make sure we we appreciate that. Mm-hmm. It's not some imperial assholes dying. This is a whole city of people of all walks of life that got obliterated by this beam that came down from Dalamud. Now the project archive is lost, everything is lost, and the Empire shudders the whole project. But one person, Nail, can't let it go. Wow. This asshole. Ten years pass, and Nail claims that he has a means to correct the wrongs of the initial project meteor, and he has a way to turn Dalamud against Eorzea. The Emperor, who is now very old at this point, and wants to add the conquest of Eorzea to his legacy, he approves Phase 2 of Project Meteor. Great. To be clear here, they're not going to plan on doing surgical strikes. They're going to blow up Eorzea and call it a win. On brand. Yes. Cool. But they'll kill the primals with it, so it's all good. 
Nail starts this effort with some preliminary incursions into Western Eorzea. They need aether containing crystals and they need elegant records to harness Dalamud. As phase two continues, Dalamud turns an ominous red and begins its descent yeah. as the seventh efforts bear fruit. During the gameplay of original Final Fantasy, as they were doing the wrap-up patches before they closed the game down, they um, brought Dalamud further and further and closer and closer to the planet. Players could see this thing getting closer and closer as time went on. Super cool. And of course, the Beast Tribes do indeed summon primals in response to these incursions by the Imperials. These primals are defeated by adventurers. These are the 1.0 player characters. However, the dispersed Aether from the slain primals is absorbed by Dalamud oh. and is not returned to the land. Well, fuck. Well, fuck indeed. Is that because of Project Meteor? Like they have diverted any extra ether into the moon? Or is it just that was just a function, you know, like a bonus? Um, Dalamud has been absorbing Aether ambiently for... Um, Millennia. Yes, exactly. But... I'm assuming that in this case, yes, they had done something, either it's proximity or something that they did um, in part of their efforts to control it has led to this new property that will just suck up this primal aether. I mean, it's pretty smart, like knowing that people are out there who will defeat the primals like, ooh, who's going to soak up all that extra ether that is released when they're defeated? Um, How about our fucking Dalamud? Oh, yeah, Nail, you're a fucking genius. While this is going on. The 7th and 14th legions are building Castrum Novum in Mordona. This region is adjacent to Cartano. The Castrum houses the lunar transmitter that the 7th is using to bring down Dalamud. Also, meanwhile, the son of Midas, Sid Non Garland, has discovered from intercepted documents that the transmitter is in place. Sid has defected to the Eorzean Alliance from the Garlean Empire, and he's aiding the Eorzeans in this anti-meteor effort. Sid, of course, is well aware that Dalamud is bad news. Right. Um, well, he was also observing the wrongs of his father in yes. real time yep. and trying to make up for it. In part because of his council, of Sid's council, the Eorzean Alliance launches an attack on Castrum Novum. The main forces attack the Citadel as a diversion while an elite band of adventurers sneaks inside and destroys the transmitter. Victory? Not quite, as Dalamud continues its descent. Shit. Oh shit. During this time, Nail is acting increasingly erratic. He is personifying the moon and acting like it's some sort of god. <laughs> Having played through the whole game, we can put together what happened to Nail and why he's acting this weird way about this moon containing Bahamut, but the players at this time, and of course the, the NPCs in the world, don't know why he's going so crazy. But he's treating the moon like a god. And we've come full circle. Sure. It's very ironic. <laughs> I guess so. So what is clear though to the people here is that the moon is having some sort of weird effect on Nail and the Seventh Legion in general. Nail also no longer needs the transmitter to bring the moon down. He's got some sort of substitute. Around this time, the 14th Legion pulls out of the affair completely. Gaius has noticed Nail's descent into Madness. mental instability. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't believe in Project Meteor in general. He's a true believer in the Empire propaganda. 
he wants to conquer Eorzea for the empire, not to just turn it into a wasteland. Right. So um, he is anti-meteor and thinks that the emperor will realize this is crazy and it will destroy anything of value in Eorzea if it comes to fruition. He's right. Yes, he's right about the effect, maybe not about the emperor, but either way, he takes his legion and he pulls back to Alamigo. Additional note, he also favors the Eorzeans in this conflict, and he gives them a tip-off in a little bit to help them against the 7th. However, the Eorzean efforts are not going so well. Dalamud is now massive, getting closer and closer to its point of impact. Nail has posted up in some Alagan ruins in Kurthis, which have risen into the air along with massive chunks of earth. Nail seems to have gained the ability to channel the power of Dalamud directly, as he begins launching pieces of the meteor into his opponents, some form of aerial bombardment to defy attacks. Is this... No. Okay. Is it... Um... Th- this was like a temporary site that was used to control a meteor. But probably got destroyed, though, when the realm was reborn after the... <laughs> uh... Is that a joke? Yes. Is this a joke to you, Jin? When the realm was reborn. It's called that for a reason, Jin. Oh. <gasps> Bam, podcast over. I get it. It just clicked for me. Finally. Why is it called a Realm Reborn? Because it's like always been there. You tell them, Jin. Yeah. Like it's different, but it's not like a little baby, you know? All right. Let's put Kelly Jin to bed. Anyway, in a desperate attempt to stop Nail, Sid carries a, a band of adventurers on his airship to assault the floating rock that Nail is posted up on. And they defeat Nail at last. But it's too late. The moon continues its descent. It's too close. You can't turn it back now. It's at... It's caught in the tractor beam. Whatever the case may be, it's not turning around. But there is one final hope. A desperate attempt led by Archon Louis-Soi. So now we know who the Garleans are and their stake in this affair. We know what the meteor is and why it's crashing into Eorzea. Now, who is, is this old guy, Louis Swa, and what's his deal? <laughs> who is this old guy, Louis Swa, and what's his deal? Am I right? Because when I started playing this game, Louis Swa is spoken of in such reverence mm-hmm. by the NPCs, especially in A Realm Reborn. Yeah. And it was so confusing to me. I thought at various points that he was like one of the twelve. <laughs> I'm fair. Or like a Catholic saint of the Twelve or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Or a primal or like a summon or something because... Yeah, no, his legend has become like untouchable. Well, it felt... I, I Maybe I missed it because there's so much info coming at me, but I did not see and retain information if someone ever told me who Louis Swa was. Besides that, uh, he's our, our Lord and Savior, Louis Swa. You do know, however, that um, he was a scion and a Charlene scholar, um, but apparently like the the most smartest not, and most powerful of them all. He's not a scion, actually. He wasn't a scion? No. The scion, scions came after that, yes. right? Scions of the seventh dawn. Okay, right. Um, but no, he was he was part of that group, the, the Charlene scholar group. Yeah, that, that's all true. However, I missed the memo when I was playing through the game the first time and was so confused about why people are talking about this guy with such reverence, and what he did to deserve this. Yeah. How did he have this much power? Well, the answer, Jen, is that he he's not one of the 12. 
or a primal. <laughs> Great. He is just Grandpa Louis Wa. Yeah. Grandpa Levilleur. Speaking of Levilleur, Louis Law. Louis Wah. Louis Law. Oh my God. Now we have to open up a fried chicken joint. And one of the sides is going to be Louis Slaw and. Uh, fried chocobo joint. Gross. Mean? So that's horrible. Uh, so, um, you know, fried popitos, I guess. And. Uh, corn think bread. Nice! Yeah, corn <laughs> think bread? Urienj soda. Urienj soda. <laughs> Why are you doing the flex? He's doing like a sun's out, guns out sort of flex every time he comes up with an idea. Like, well, this is how good my idea this is. This was your idea, but you're coming up dry, Jen. I'm just I, trying is, to no, help you out. No, you're totally right. I mean, it's it's hard to to shove in an English word to names that are not anywhere close. So like Papalimo. Papalimo beans. Oh my God. Papa Bimo. Oh no. Um, okay, that's... All right. We covered most of them there. So, uh, Louis Wah Levier mm-hmm. of House Levier is an Elizin from Charlayan. We are not going into detail on Charlayan today either, but very long story short, it's Nerd Island. <laughs> Charlayan has a non intervention policy that Louis Wah disagrees with. He is particularly concerned with Garlemald and its extremely aggressive expansions. He takes 12 of his favorite pupils and forms the Circle of Knowing. This includes, among others, uh, the Archons we know, such as Thankred, Yishtola, and so on. They believe that in order to halt the Empire's advance, the Eorzeans must put up a show of force through the refounding of the Grand Companies. We'll also delay the talk about Grand Companies for later, but also, long story short, these are interdisciplinary combined forces. During the story of Final Fantasy XIV 1.0, we see these Archons making landfall in Eorzea with those player characters. So when you're fresh off the boat, so is Ischola, for instance. I see. Yeah, you, you get there at the same time. And during that story, they are making their efforts to try and gather information and eventually make inroads with the leaders of Eorzea to refound these grand companies. I see. At first, the Eorzeans are resistant to this idea, but eventually they relent um, as the Seventh Legion arrives in Alamigo and begins to mobilize against Western Eorzea. Mm-hmm. So after all that time, the Circle has won the trust of the leaders of the city-states, and Louis Wah puts forth his plan to stop the meteor. He says that he wants to beseech the 12 deities of Eorzea directly to halt the meteor. This raises some eyebrows. Some see it as being a form of primal summoning, even though Louis Swa says that he's only invoking their aid and not actually summoning them. Mm-hmm. We'll find out the truth of that much later on in the story. Anyway, though, the, the plan is accepted, in part due to lack of other good options. Eorzeans unite in prayer, and the Circle of Knowing themselves take up positions at various shrines throughout Eorzea. We get a couple clips of them praying during the um, the Cardinal FMV. Mm-hmm. Louis Swa himself will take to the field to channel these energies into the invocation directly. It's during these preparations that Gaius von Belzar makes his final appearance 
in his final fuck you to Nail, as he informs the Eorzeans that the Seventh has gone full fanatic and they all worship the moon and that they are convinced that Nail is not dead, but he is alive and leading them still. And they are massing on the Cartano Flats as that is where they expect the meteor to make landfall. So using this information, the Grand Companies of Eorzea begin to make a final assault on Cartano Flats to intervene in this landfall of Dalamud. At last, we have all we need to understand what happened in the Battle of Cartineau. Taking it from the top again, we have the Grand Companies of Eorzea assaulting the, the members of the 7th Legion. The Eorzeans are making this attack so they can get Louis in position to stop the meteor. He wants to be at ground zero so he can summon the 12 to stop its descent. We see here that the Grand Companies aided by the, the player characters and other adventurers, are assaulting the flats. And during the final moments of the original Final Fantasy, there was a, a final event where the players themselves could essentially take to the field and could assault the Imperials. Hmm. During the cinematic, we actually see the archetypal Warriors of Light fighting the Empire. We have a warrior, a paladin, a black mage, a white mage, and a bard. These characters are effectively standing in during the FMV for the player characters, but there's also more detail about these particular figures as well, which we'll get to also much later. Mm -hmm. As Dalamud looms closer, we can see the Allegan pillars projecting out of the moon itself, and they begin to break free, crashing into the battlefield. The moon begins to break apart, and from it emerges the worm Bahamut. I don't think that anyone except maybe Nail and the Seventh expected Bahamut to be in there. But from the Eorzean perspective, this is entirely unexpected. We could nerd out about the various flare attacks that Bahamut uses throughout the Final Fantasy series, like its mega flares and terror flares yeah, and so Alcorn on. And, yeah. Long story short, it's bad news. Bahamut unleashes devastation across the battlefield and the surrounding terrain. He is huge, and the destruction is huge, even in the first moments. We see in the cutscene, for instance, Limsa being blown up by, um, by his attack. So, everything is chaos. The Grand Companies are fleeing. All is lost, except that Louis Wois steps up living on a prayer. He uses his staff, Tup Simati, to invoke the ether of the land itself and the energy being channeled through the shrines to the Twelve. He attempts to entrap Bahamut. This seems to be working at first, as another prison is summoned, and we see in this cinematic that the signs of the Twelve rise up around this sphere to, to entrap and to imprison Bahamut again. But it's not enough. He breaks free, and the rampage continues. Louis Swa, seeing All Hope is Lost, transports these five archetypal warriors of light five years into the future, this is how the player characters of the original Final Fantasy can rejoin us during A Realm Reborn. They get teleported forward. They are not present for the five years of rebuilding. 
There is a a cinematic that shows that. Yes, in the confusing array of cinematics about this event, the intro video to A Realm Reborn, which is accessible through the game's main menu, continues the initial FMV from the battle into the Welcome to A Realm Reborn. Right. So we can see in that cinematic, the Warriors of Light appearing in the, the countryside of Eorzea. Yeah. <laughs> Very complicated. Um, bunch of media that surrounds this this thing. Anyway, in the original FMV, though, after the Warriors get teleported forward in time, the screen fades to white. No one knows what happens next. The suffusion of Aether or the ritual or something has caused a collective memory loss and nobody can recall what happened here. However, what is known is that the old Warriors of Light are gone, people have lost their memory of who they are, and Louis Wa is gone, his only trace is the broken staff left behind, and Bahamut is also gone. It's assumed that the ritual was successful, and Louis Wa has trapped Bahamut successfully and died in the process. But again, there's no proof, there's no evidence, because everyone forgot what happened there during this massive dispersal of Aether. Surviving members of the 7th Legion and the Grand Companies fled the battlefield immediately afterwards, and the land was irrevocably warped by Bahamut and the Aether unleashed during this event. The next five years are spent rebuilding and recovering as the 14th musters its strength for a new invasion of Eorzea, and that brings us to the present and the start of A Realm Reborn. Wow. We made it, Jen. Any questions or comments? Um, that's some crazy shit. And I was not fully aware of the split within the Garlean Empire between the 7th and the 14th. And it's funny, like, you know, Gaius trying to preserve the lands he eventually wants to subjugate. Like, I don't want this guy to do it. I want to do it. But I want to do it the right way, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, very interesting. So, I mean, they're all hella misguided. But jumping off that point, though, I think one of the great things about this game is how it portrays the Garlean Empire. It is not a monolith. This right. is a 50-year empire that does not have the population to support its expansion. And it's not a just monoculture of just one one person one type of person who is a fanatic to the mission there is a lot of texture inside the empire and the game shows it very well yes so i I think that's again one testament to the writing of the game is how they they don't make the empire the big bad evil empire right it is a very complicated and very nuanced entity which is like being a random civilian in any sort of superpower on on earth but yeah, we'll we'll get into more into the the intricacies of those people. Yeah, we'll we'll have a a more fleshed up view of the the Garleans. and and obviously you know our experiences with Sid and well I can't really I can't really go into that without spoilers galore. Um, well I sure learned a lot. Good, <laughs> I'm glad. It was a lot of diving from various sources to put this all together. So hopefully, um, I got it right and uh you enjoyed and or educated by the process i was this event does not stop as we have mentioned with the intro to a realm reborn 
this gets recontextualized multiple times during the course of the game, and we will come back here again as those pieces come into place to update our awareness. Next time, we will finally be breaking the level 15 barrier. Yes! <laughs> Well, I'm going to log all of that away. I hope this was as illuminating for you as it was for me. If you have anything to say to us, feel free to email at podreturnffxiv at gmail.com. And since we're kind of moving out from the cute little 1 through 15 uh, Final Fantasy 14 story into the greater world of of Eorzea and all the adventures that uh, stand before us. Tell your friends, tell your FC mates, have them join in and take take a listen. And with that, we hope you enjoyed the episode and we will see you next time.